0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mine, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom & Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we are celebrating four years of the Mom & Mind podcast, first launched on June 16, 2016. Our very first episode was my story mixed in with some information and education about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, and that really sets the stage for what this podcast is about. It is a mix of personal stories, expert interviews, information, and education, but also for me personally, to share my experience was powerful and meaningful to me, and I think for me, I really wanted to bring a level of Vulnerability to this podcast. And with me sharing my own experience, give permission to others who want to share theirs. So I go by Dr. Kat on the podcast, but my real full name is Katyun Cayani. I am a psychologist, a wife and mother to two lovely humans, and I am perinatal mental health certified. My entry into the world of perinatal mental health started 10 years ago this June with the birth of my first child, my daughter. Apparently, I like to birth things in June. Both of my kids are June babies, and so is this podcast. And just like with being a parent, over the four years of this podcast, I've had loads of learning, lots of mistakes, and so many topics that have been covered, but still so many left to go. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast is that there is no shortage of experiences and perspectives to share. In my opinion, there is nothing about life that is not touched by or doesn't intersect with conception, pregnancy, birth, loss, or postpartum. Nothing. This is how we all get here. We are birthed by someone. And then if we choose and are able, we may go on to be pregnant and birth our own children. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with how many topics and stories I'd like to get to on this podcast. It's just mind-blowing once you start to get into details and learn all of the nuance of everyone's experiences and what has led them to experiencing a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. There are so many different influences on any one person's life that can lead to their experience during this reproductive period of time. I'm really proud of this little podcast that could. We've been heard in 69 countries, have over 356,000 downloads and counting, continuing to build social media followers and get the word out. And our demographics, according to social media statistics, the highest number of listeners we have are between 25 and 44 and listed as primarily female. We've had 180 episodes. For the first several years, I was doing podcast episodes every week, and I made a shift to doing them every other week, as that is more sustainable for me and my life right now. Out of those episodes, the top downloaded is the first one, my postpartum journey. And what I hope to do today is to expand on that. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. Our second highest downloaded episode is number 87 on postpartum anxiety with Dr. Carly Snyder. I'm not surprised that that is so highly downloaded. So many people deal with postpartum anxiety, and although postpartum depression gets most of the spotlight for what can happen, anxiety is really very common. So I'm I'm ecstatic that people are getting that information. And our third highest and our third highest downloaded is number 115, The Highly Sensitive Mother with Julie Bieland. I'm really glad that a lot of people have listened to that and resonated with that episode. I myself am a highly sensitive mother, and I resonated with it, as I do with a lot of our episodes. But that one in particular, I think taking a closer look at how our brains and our experiences impact our experience, sometimes very physiologically, but certainly emotionally, as a highly sensitive mother, is really validating. I myself felt very validated by that episode. My goal and mission with this podcast is to raise the volume on perinatal mental health challenges and get this information and education out to as many people as possible. It's one thing for me to go to a training and to learn from my esteemed colleagues and find out what's being researched. And that is all absolutely necessary for us as a profession to be educated. So I'm hopeful that this podcast serves as a bridge to get the information out to you guys wherever you are in the world so that you can listen at your own pace, when you're able, when you want, to get this information that you deserve. We shouldn't be stepping into this blindly. I'm a firm believer that having the education beforehand, even though it's sort of cringeworthy sometimes to think, oh my gosh, could that possibly happen? There's so much you're trying to wrap your head around and understand when you're going through conception or pregnancy or loss To think, oh gosh, that's one more thing I need to consider is my mental health. Well, everything, well, my perspective is anyways, everything impacts mental health. Getting pregnant and having a child is no different. Today, I'm going to go into a little bit of depth into my story. And in part, I want to do this because it's not as if we just, you know, get pregnant and have a kid and have this relatively brief period of time where we're experiencing a perinatal mental health challenge, and then that's it. There are so many factors that can contribute into it way beforehand throughout your lifetime. And there are after healing factors that might still be impacting you. When we wrap it up in a little bow and say, oh, I had that experience and now it's done, I don't think that's the full story for a lot of people. And as a matter of fact, I know that that's not the case for me. So throughout the podcast, parts of my own story are sprinkled into many of these episodes, both as that I've shared personal details and also that they resonate with what many others have experienced. I should say parts of my story will continue to remain with me and only in my awareness or shared with a select few. And there are there are many reasons for that, not specifically to be secretive, but because some parts are still very personal and I'm wanting to be respectful of other people who are in my life who have been impacted or impacted my journey, and also because we don't have all day. My postpartum journey started out as one of pain and turned into discovery and healing. I'm going to start kind of far back in my history, and when there is a clear risk factor for my journey, I'll tell you so that you can see how things start to pile up. Some of my risk factors are simply accumulated stress, and some are more profound. As I said before, there are bits and pieces throughout all of these episodes of my story, but I think it's important to understand the arc of our stories and how our history plays a role. Our, our journeys and journey through healing are not cut and dry. It's not like you heal and then you're just healed forever and don't have to deal with anything again. It's very much a lifelong process in my perspective. And you might have had this experience if you've already been through and healed through a, for the most part, a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder you might hear parts of somebody else's experience and feel like, oh, yeah, that resonates for me. There's still a piece of healing in there that might need to happen or could benefit from being paid attention to. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted?, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild. comes Mysteries About True Histories affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods.
2: Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff.
0: When we are realizing for ourselves, or meeting with someone else as a therapist or a provider who has a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, there is always a story behind the pain. There may be contributing factors to what they are going through that are more recent, but sometimes the contributing factors happened a long time that are contributing happened a long time ago. No one wakes up choosing to go through postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or anything that we can experience during this time. Nobody would choose this. It's often an accumulation of things or risk factors or life events that have resulted in emotional and or physical pain. And as I said before, even when the bulk of healing has come and you're mostly feeling fine, there may still be little bits that show up for healing at other times in life. It's really quite complex. And I personally can't get into all of it here because, well, for me anyways, as I said, I have 42 years of stuff and that's going to be true for everybody. We're not going to hear every little bit of someone's story to be able to have a full complex understanding of why they're experiencing what they're experiencing. And that's not our job, really. We don't have to know every detail. We just have to listen and we have to believe. We have to scratch up. We have to listen to people. We have to believe their experience. It's really not up for debate. Each person's individual experience through this is real and deserves all the attention. So I want to say that my journey started at least when I was eight. And I'll say that because that was the year of my entry into the reproductive phase of my life. My period started very, very early for that time, however many years ago. I don't do math, so 42 minus eight. It was a little bit more rare at that time for, for somebody to start their period that early. It's become a little bit, it's still rare, but it's become a little bit more common for periods to be starting early now. But for me at that time, at eight years old, starting my period, it meant that my body changed very early and my relationship with my body changed and was complicated for many reasons, one of which was feeling very different from other girls. I mean, in order to start your period, there are very specific body changes that start to take place. And as an eight-year-old, certainly I didn't know that. I just felt different. And people treated me differently as well. Being ogled by boys and men at a young age was a lot to deal with. I also had symptoms of PMS that started at a young age. I don't remember exactly when my PMS really started. Signs and symptoms of PMS are a risk factor for a perinatal mental health condition. So feeling different as a kid is hard and painful. And when you're a kid, you don't understand the complexity of how or why you're being treated differently. You just feel like something's different about you. This is very common for children to interpret the world in that way because how can they have a more complex understanding? They're still little. I should note that I already felt pretty different being the only half Iranian, half white American kid that I knew, which is also in some ways its own risk factor. Feeling different, feeling other, being not quite white, but also not quite Iranian. Depending on your life situation, this can be a stressor. And it did happen to be a stressor for me. So moving past that period of time, I was a peer counselor in junior high at the age of 12. And that's when I knew that I wanted to be a psychologist. It was a natural tendency for me to be very sensitive and empathic and want to be a helper. This is a personal risk factor for me being highly sensitive. I haven't bared out the research in this, but for me personally, being a sensitive person and empathic in a lot of ways and in tune with others to kind of some, to a large extent, puts me personally at risk for feeling symptoms of depression and anxiety. I have dealt with depression and anxiety off and on from the teen years. This is a risk factor. My own personal history, my mental health history, connected to some family health history and mental health history as well. This is a risk factor for perinatal motor anxiety disorder. So moving forward, still experiencing symptoms of PMS, which is, as I said, is a risk factor. And also just PMS is... Um, I don't quite know how to describe how it's related to in our society, but it's often minimized and women who are PMSing, I'm air quoting right now, their symptoms, their experience is minimized. But I want to be clear that this is a medical issue and certainly PMS and its more intense form, a PMDD. Premenstrual dysphoric disorder are medical conditions, but because it's talked about so plainly and commonly in the same way that like depression and anxiety are that it's minimized in a way to say like, Oh, she's in a bad mood. She's PMSing. It's pervasive in our culture. What I want people to know who experience PMS is that it is real and it absolutely impacts you. It impacts your day. It impacts your mental health and impacts your, you physically. And I'll come back around to talk about how PMS has impacted me. Fast forward a little bit more. I didn't know it at the time, but my first concussion from a skiing accident, which resulted in an ACL tear and surgery and totally sidelined my high school soccer career at age 15. This is a contributor to my perinatal mental health stuff. Um, Concussions in general, and the more you have, the worse it is, are contributors to Depression and, and many other things. But what also happened is that I wasn't able to play soccer anymore. At that time, I was in junior varsity soccer. I had this ACL tear and I became depressed very quickly after that. So I don't know if you can already tell, but the, the risk factors are building and As we go through people's lives, as you go through your own life, or we as therapists are going through people's lives, these are the kinds of things anyways that I look for. What are the contributing factors? I really love to have as much context as possible when I'm thinking about my own stuff, but also other people's stuff. There are reasons that people experience things, right? So around that time was my first major depression. It's a horrible time to be depressed as a teenager. It's really rough time anyways. But long story short, I pushed through and went on to college where PMS was a major contributing factor to my mood and stress. I recall being UC Santa Barbara for undergrad and feeling this like really intense, what I know now to be like a panic attack feeling, but that would only come in really during PMS. I went to get help from a doctor on campus. He gave me a diuretic to take when I was feeling intense. Basically a diuretic, it like takes, you know, if you're retaining water, it helps you not retain water. And so I jokingly at the time in college called that my crazy pill because I would take it in during PMS times. And I, for whatever reason, it's the thing that helped me feel better and I feel calm. And I went on to try many, many different things to help with PMS. At some point I tried birth control that didn't really do it. Over the years, I've done acupuncture, I've done Chinese medicine, I've done energy healing, I've done lots and lots of stuff. Anyhow, back to my timeline. Grad school was incredibly challenging. Grad school was incredibly challenging. There was a lot of family-related stress happening at the time. Dissertation, I thought I was going to lose my mind. I was in school learning about so many things that were part of my personal experience but also learning about other people's experiences. And again, being a highly sensitive person, grad school was a challenge for me for that reason, because I was learning and coming sort of out of a a shelter of sorts of learning about many, many deep things that humanity goes through, that people go through. Grad school in that period of time in my life was extremely stressful. And I'm pretty sure I had another bout or two of depression during that time. And certainly of anxiety as well. I don't know if you can get through grad school without anxiety. During grad school, towards the end, I had my second concussion, which also there was a lot of other bodily injury. I had a a bicycle accident. And because I didn't have insurance at the time, I was using the county medical services. So I had a, a radial head fracture in my elbow and a massive hematoma on my leg. And what I didn't know at that time is that I had a concussion. And in part, because I didn't have medical insurance, I didn't get enough medical treatment. I didn't find out actually later until my third concussion that I had had a concussion at that time. And in part, because I didn't get the help and support that I needed and enough treatment and enough people really looking at, actually, I almost was dismissed from the emergency room telling me that my elbow was not okay. Thankfully, advocated for myself. But um, they didn't look at any other things, and so during that time, I went uh, kind of untreated with a second concussion and and some other things. No fun. But again, this is a risk factor. So uh, moving along, started a job, working in the field. All that was awesome, and then I had my third concussion, which basically put me out of work for about a month and a half. These things are risk factors, and what we accumulate through our life can be risk factors. So. Essentially had a lot of physical injury and had head injuries and history of depression, history of anxiety, highly sensitive person in the world. Oh, perfectionist for sure. All of that stuff. So then leading into all the boxes were checked though on paper, like, Oh yeah, I got a, a grad school degree. I'm a psychologist. I have a job and all of this stuff is great. That looks really, really great. And it is. And it was. So then I became pregnant. And what I think is of use to note is that during pregnancy, I felt the best I've ever felt. Not everybody can say that, so I'm I'm grateful that that was my experience. But for me, it was a relief from PMS. It was a relief from my hormones that I had been succumbing to for so long. And it was kind of an eye-opener, like, oh, I didn't know I could feel this good mentally and emotionally. So that, that was really, really nice. I did have physical pain, but it was, it was nothing compared to the relief of the mental emotional struggle that came with PMS and, you know, riding the wave of bits of depression that come along with that. So anyhow, June 10 years ago, uh, my daughter came along. Birth was long. My first contraction was Friday evening and she came into the world Monday, midday around noonish. Birth was long and exhausting and I had back labor. And so, so painful, like a a pain I've never experienced in my life and hope to never feel again. But she came out and everything was great there for a moment or two. And what I know now is that my anxiety started really, really on that first day. She had aspirated meconium and there was she was coughing out some green stuff. And to me, I had no idea that that was a thing. It was possible. And I just kept like vigilant watch on her watching her breathe, trying to get her to breastfeed and nurse, which is extremely painful. Come to find out she had a tongue tie and we had that revised. So we kept trying, she and I, and we got breastfeeding established, but it was very painful. I tried nipple shields. I tried all kinds of stuff and it just was still very, very painful. And I would have had one one side that would get a plugged duct just over and over and over again. And there was you know, stuff I could do to relieve the pain, but it was just ongoing for a long time. Add in really poor sleep, in part because of this vigilance and my anxiety uh, started to creep up and get more and more intense. And included in that was intrusive thoughts.
1: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
3: Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self help in a simple to digest way for the last decade.
0: Um, That was the hardest part for me is the intrusive thoughts because they were frequent and overwhelming. And the intrusive thoughts that something bad would happen to her either by me or by somebody else or by some random thing was really, really very devastating for me. And it built up, all of this built up over a year. Overwhelm, fatigue. I had to go back to work sooner than I had planned. All of the things that had happened in my life that I'm telling you about today anyways, that is part of a risk factor is showing up here. In particular, my intrusive thoughts were, and this is intense for some people who might be listening, my intrusive thoughts were sexual in nature. So I would, all of a sudden in my mind, it would like pop in that I was going to somehow sexually abuse my daughter or that somebody else would. And this made me physically ill. It was very overwhelming. And I I couldn't tell anybody. I was so embarrassed and so ashamed. And by the way, nobody really knew how bad I off I was. I sort of kept myself buttoned up, let myself fall apart a little bit at home, but even, you know, I never even told my husband during that time how bad things were. And I lived like that for a year until I was more honest with myself. I'd gone through to postpartum visits and been given a PHQ-9, which is a depression screen, and kind of lied on that because I didn't want to know. I didn't want people to know that I was suffering, especially not as a psychologist. How how could I not know what's going on? But I knew. I knew deep down something wasn't quite right. But after her year birthday is when I really, really started making a shift and a change. I had gone to naturopathic doctors. I had Gone to therapy. I was trying multiple things to try and feel better. My job was actually a big stressor as well. I was working in an environment that for me was too much. And so in order to protect my mental health, I had to kind of move out of that and, and into private practice. The timeline is a little bit fuzzy, but for me, once I realized what was happening and started reading about perinatal mental health, started looking into how to get training and how to help others is when I started to make this shift into this profession. And because of my experience for that first year, I consider that now part of my training. Totally unexpected and not wanted, but an absolute training for myself to understand what what this is all like. Certainly, it is not enough training to help other people. So Knowing that my experience was now validated and that the things I was experiencing was real. It was written in a book. I could see that somebody had written about this and it wasn't just me. It wasn't in my head. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't a bad mom. I just needed help. That's when I started pivoting and shifting into helping other people, but I didn't tell anybody about my experience still. And I didn't for years after that getting Past the shame, getting past the guilt, getting past the embarrassment, so to speak, of being a psychologist and not knowing this and uh, not knowing anything about this or that it was happening to me was, I was almost too much to bear. I remember ordering a CD that had CEs for learning about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And I read and I started to think about if I could help other people. And it was a little hard for me. Initially to gauge what I could withstand. Because if you've been through something like this and then you start helping people who've been through something like this, there's a bit of a raw nerve that's still there in the very beginning. And so I had to take like an approach withdrawal kind of, kind of stance with this. I started speaking to colleagues in the field who I knew were specialists, asking them what books I could read and how I could start helping supporting this population. I got some great books and great recommendations. And after I had learned a bit, then I started accepting clients into private practice. But even prior to that, when I was still in my salaried job as an employee, I wanted pregnant and postpartum people funneled to me. Looking back on it, I can say, I wish I had known more during that period of time, but there is for everybody in every situation, you have to start doing the work to learn how to do the work. But I would say that, the reading and the classes and the, the training are, are essential. So the first few clients prompted me to learn even more and to understand that people's experiences are very complex and varied. And still, I continue to learn more and more. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, there are so many topics to touch on and one person can't possibly know everything. Even within perinatal mental health, there as a specialty, there are specialties within this specialty. There is so much to know. Even through these 10 years of supporting people and doing the podcast and learning and continuing my education and reading and talking to other professionals, there are still things that trigger me sometimes. I actually went back into therapy because several years ago, there was an experience that triggered me uh, related to the safety of my daughter. And it brought back some of those intrusive thoughts of, harm coming to her from somebody else. And I realized at that time that my own experience was traumatizing. My own intrusive thoughts were traumatizing to me. So I went back into therapy to do EMDR and work on that. And this was that one of those things, that little bit of healing that still needed to happen. And I still will have intrusive thoughts, not specifically about that, but I will have other intrusive thoughts of something bad happening or something weird happening to my kids or to me. But I know now through my healing journey and from learning a lot about these conditions is that that's usually a sign to me that I'm stressed out, I haven't had enough sleep or I'm in my more vulnerable state of PMS. So yeah, I still have intrusive thoughts. I know how to deal with them though. I know what they are, I name them and I claim them and I put them where they belong with anxiety and as with a label of that's anxiety, I must be tired, I must be stressed out and manage them in that way so that they don't take over like they did during uh, my postpartum. I forgot to mention along the way, I had a second child. And again, I had a similar experience, but much less intense uh, through postpartum. Uh, But when I went through with my second child, I knew what was happening. And this is why I think information and education is so important. Because if you know what is happening, you don't end up going down in this shame spiral of feeling like you're a bad person. You can totally blame it on the depression or anxiety or trauma or whatever, as opposed to blaming yourself. It makes a world of difference. So the last thing I want to touch on is the journey through PMS. As I said before, you know, it is a medical condition, but there are many, many different ways to attend to it. But I will say that after my kids, my PMS became worse, Um, plus my history of concussions I do believe play a part. It's become very difficult to manage, so much so that it's impacting my functioning. So pretty recently, I decided to look into it because it's my PMS is intense. It's not quite PMDD, but it absolutely, it affects my memory. It affects my ability to focus and concentrate. And because a lot, there's a lot of symptoms that kind of like overlap related to depression, anxiety, PMS, high stress. And I do believe that concussions are a factor. It prompted me to talk to my doctor about getting on an SSRI to see if that could help manage the symptoms. And so far it is. So this part of this is what I mean that, you know, I did my healing, the bulk of my healing, so to speak, but there are still points in time and experiences that bring back things that feel similar to that postpartum period that need attention and deserve attention still. I'm very well aware that my story is not everybody's story, but Part of why I wanted to share the arc of my story and where I'm at now is for people to get a broader sense of perinatal mental health conditions. It's not just related specifically to pregnancy. There are, for some people, things that happened way before pregnancy or birth or loss or postpartum that are impacting them. And there are parts that will still impact you. But just like any major life experience, our goal, my goal anyway, is to find a way to live with it well. I don't want PMS to take over all the time. <laughs> I don't want my past experiences to, to pop up in my head at inopportune times or, or whatnot. So uh, my choice is how to deal with it. And through my own therapy, through supportive friends and family, through learning, through colleagues. I've been able to get to a place where the memory of my experience isn't shameful. The facts of my experience isn't something I have to hide from. The fact that I still deal with stuff is just part of life. It's part of my life anyways. I I think the more honest we can be with ourselves about the impacts of our life experiences throughout the arc of our life and our stories, the more opportunity we have for healing. And my healing isn't over. This to me is, and especially as a therapist, this doesn't just end. You don't just become healed and then you're good and then you're done. My life will continue to bring up things right up to my face that need attention and need healing. I might not want to always think about it. I might not want to deal with it, but there it is. This is part of our human nature. This is part of my nature. There will be times where I will be absolutely exhausted and tired of dealing with my stuff. And I know that other people can resonate with that too. I hear I hear this a lot, like, oh, I thought I was over that. I thought I already talked about that. I thought I've already been through that. And I still have those feelings that come up about my own history and my own things. It's okay to be tired from that. It's okay to not constantly attend to it also. We will be going in and out of our healing process and paying full attention and paying no attention uh, for the rest of our lives because like, we have other things to do too. My goal here is to really just make so normal that we struggle and make it so normal that it's okay to get help and to reach out. So, in part of making my story a bit fuller, I think for those of you who are maybe not therapists and don't get to sit and and hold space and listen to people here work through the arcs of their stories and their life. I hope it's useful for you to to think about your experiences and to to understand your experiences as as complex but understandable. And if you can look back and notice any risk factors of your own life, things that might have impacted you or contributed to your experience, I think just understanding the context really helps reduce the shame, embarrassment, guilt, and feelings of inadequacy. So throughout my chat today, I have addressed some of the questions that have come in. Well, if you've listened this far, thanks for being with me, not only on this episode, but for the last four years. I'm still here. We are moving directly forward continuing to have episodes that hopefully are supportive and resonate for you and help you through your journey. I would love to hear from any and all of you about your experience on the podcast, or if you're interested in sharing your story or your expertise, you can email me to hello at momandmind.com. For those of you who are new to the Mom and Mind podcast, thank you for joining us. Those of you who've been listening, thank you for being with us. I am so incredibly encouraged and honored to hear how this podcast has supported you, and I hope that it continues to do so. Connect with us on any podcast platform or at momandmind.com. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.